right. Well, we don't need to forget that, do we? <laughs> we sure don't. Thank you all so much for singing for us tonight. How many of you have brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? And I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and join me in the Old Testament tonight uh, on uh, page number, page number, page number, uh, page number 101 in the Old Testament tonight or the book of, uh, or the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 25. And I'd like to read some verses here tonight. I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open and uh, just follow me along here for just a moment. Exodus Chapter number 25, 101 in the old Schofield Bible. And again, thank you so much for being here. I encourage you to be back on Wednesday night. And we're looking forward to having a good time together in God's house. And I hope you have a good Monday and Tuesday and, and Wednesday of this week. Thank you for being faithful, for showing up at church. And please just bear with us through these days. And we'll get through them one way or the other and get out of here. You know, one of the ways I know I was thinking today, I, I guess if I ever get that stuff... The way I'll know is my ice cream won't taste good. But I tell you what, I had a bowl of chocolate ice cream, and it tasted pretty good this afternoon. But I think one of the first things that happens is your taste goes. Is that right? Your sense of smell, sense of taste. So uh, that's one sure fire way, I guess, to know you got it as that happens. So I know I ain't got it because my ice cream tasted good today. What about you? Did you all have a good meal after church? Did your ketchup taste good? Yes, sir. That's a good way to know that you're all right uh, when it comes to the COVID virus, all right? Let's read tonight Exodus chapter 25. I want to begin reading verse 23. Exodus 25, verse 23, and if you'd bear with me, I'd like to read down through verse number 30. Here's what the Bible said. Thou shalt, make, uh, thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubics shall be the length thereof, and a cubic the breadth thereof, and a cubic and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it, overlay this table with a pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of a handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are, uh, that are on the four feet thereof. And over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them." And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal. Of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. Now, leave your Bibles open, and if reading that, you're probably saying, good night, what does it have to do with us? But if you'll bear with me for just a moment, I'd like to go back and just talk about uh, this table tonight. Let's pray. Father, bless your word now. Thank you for the good singing, music, the privilege to fellowship. And I pray now that you'd bless the Bible now as I try to preach tonight. Lord, I'm not worthy to be blessed, but I pray you'd bless your word and just use it tonight to remind us of Jesus. As they just sing about a moment ago, I have not forgotten. Lord, we don't want to forget who Jesus is. So I pray you'd remind us tonight as we look at this text together, please, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, if you think back the last couple, three or four Sunday evenings, we uh, have been in this chapter a little bit talking about this building that God desired for His people to build for Him. And this building was to be a place where God would meet with His people and His people would meet with Him. We know this building as the Old Testament tabernacle. It was a portable building. It was made to be broken down, broken apart, to be picked up and to be carried as the nation of Israel journeyed through the wilderness. According to verse 8 of this chapter, God said, I'm going to dwell in that building right there. That's going to be my place. Here on this earth, I'm going to dwell in that building there uh, amongst the children of Israel. Now, of course, we know that since the day of Pentecost that God no longer dwells in a building, but God now dwells in our bodies. God not only uh, dwells not only among His people, but in these days since Pentecost, God dwells in His people as well. Boy, I'm glad that I don't have to go anywhere to meet with God. You know why? Because God is in me. God is in you. When you got saved, God, through the person of the Holy Ghost, move into your heart and into your life. The old saying is, in the Old Testament, God had a building for His people. But in the New Testament, God has a people for His building. So if you want to look at the house of God, take a good look at me, you'll see the house of God. I can look at you. I see the house of God. God dwells in our bodies. But what's so unusual about this building that we've been preaching about a little bit lately is, is the fact that before God ever gave to Moses the measurements and the materials for the building itself, he first of all gave to Moses the dimensions and the instructions for all the articles of furniture that were to go inside of that building. Now, once again, that's totally opposite than how we do things. I mean, when we get ready to build a house, our last concern is what kind of furniture we're going to put in it. I mean, we always want the house to be built. Then we'll get the measurements. We can go to the couch store and buy the right kind of couch. And we can go to the Lazy Boy store and get the right kind of Lazy Boy and the kitchen table. But we don't build a house necessarily for the furniture as such. And yet God in our text is, is, is so much more interested in the of the articles of furniture that goes into the house, then seemingly he is the house itself. By doing so, God is teaching us that those articles of furniture that went into this house must be of great importance and great significance. In fact, let me just once again remind you that in another place in our Bible, all these articles of furniture were called by this. Over in the book of First Chronicles, chapter number 5, there it was, there it is, St. Chronicles chapter 5, the Bible said, thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. Now he's talking about the more permanent structure, the temple. It couldn't be broken apart. It was there. It was there. It was a permanent building. But the Bible said Solomon finished building that. Then he brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the instruments. And then it says this, put he among thee, and then there's the word, the treasures of the house of God. Yes, sir, those articles of furniture were treasures in the house of God. Now, a treasure, a synonym, some synonyms for the word treasure are riches and valuables and, and wealth. 
And let me just tell you something. There's something very valuable that's found in the house of God. There's some great treasures that are found inside of the house of God. You know, people think we're crazy because we come to church three times a week. But what they don't understand, however, is that you and I have found some great treasures inside of the house of God. People ride up down Highway 65 and look over here and say, hey, that's a church building. No, sir. We say what we've got here is a church treasure chest because there's some treasures inside of the house of God, some valuables, some riches, some wealth that you can't find anywhere else in this world. That's the reason the psalmist said in Psalms 26 in verse number 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I love the house of God. Don't you? I, don't, don't you? I love the house of God. I find some treasures here, some, some valuables inside the house of God that cannot be found anywhere else. Now, one of the things that we've learned about these articles of furniture is every one of these articles of furniture point us to some aspect of the person of the Lord Jesus. Everything in this Old Testament tabernacle testified, pointed forward to Jesus. Now, again, I haven't intended to preach through these uh, articles of furniture, and that's still my, my, my intentions. As far as I know, the night's the last thing I'm going to talk about. But I do want to try to just focus our attention for just a little bit on the person of our Savior. I tell you what, friend, the Bible said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You know something that will keep you calm in these days of turbulence and disturbance and all that's going on? Keep your mind on Jesus. And I've just tried to take these three or four Sunday nights and say, Hey, let's just think about Jesus. Let me just point you to Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. I'll tell you what, friend, he's a subject that's worth talking about. Amen. He's a Savior and a subject that is worth talking about. Now, some of these articles of furniture in that Old Testament tabernacle represent the work of the Lord Jesus, what he come to do. I've got in my mind right now, when you walk through that, that fence and you walked into that, uh, that outer court of that tabernacle, the first thing you ran into was the brazen altar. That brazen altar was the place where the innocent died for the guilty. Buddy, that reminds us of Calvary. That's the work that Jesus came to do. He was the innocent one, the perfect one, and yet he came to die for people just like you and just like me. The Bible said he knew no sin, yet he became sin, that through him we might receive and be made the righteousness of God. That brazen altar reminds us of Calvary. It reminds us of what Jesus had come to do. But then other articles of furniture in that tabernacle just represented the person of Jesus. You may remember a few Sundays ago I preached about that box, and I called it the beautiful box. And I was talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And boy, I'll tell you what, what a picture of the Lord Jesus that Ark of the Covenant was. That box made out of wood overlaid with pure gold and that box pointed us forward to the person of the Lord Jesus. Then a couple of weeks ago I preached not only on the beautiful box but I preached on the splendid seat because we know every box has got to have a lid for it and the Old Testament, that box in that Old Testament tabernacle had a lid on it and it was called the mercy seat. It was a slab of pure 
spirit gold and it was on that seat where God sat on this earth. It was a place of enthronement. It was a place of atonement. It was a place of obtainment. Aren't you glad that we now, aren't you glad Jesus turned that seat where God sat into a mercy seat? Aren't you glad you and I, according to the book of Hebrews, we can go right into the presence of our great high priest and we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Boy, I'll tell you what, you never get so, the dark, the night never gets so dark. Hey, the sickness never gets so bad. Death never becomes too real for us to be able to go to our Savior and find mercy and find grace right there at the mercy seat. Thank God for the beautiful box and thank God for the splendid seat. But now let's walk outside of that holy, holiest of all. You see, there was a curtain that separated that holiest of all from the holy place. Now, the reason I'm going about this, you say, preacher, you're going about this backward. You ought to take us from the outside in. Well, I'm just following the word of God because God started on the inside and worked his way out. By the way, can I remind you, salvation starts on the inside and works its way out. The problem with us is we try to clean our fish before we ever catch them. Yeah, we want them to get a good haircut, get a nice long dress on, buddy, we want to clean them up before we ever catch them. But I thank God when he does something, a work on the inside, he'll change the outside. And so God in the Bible starts on the inside and moves us to the outside. Well, when we walk behind that curtain, we find that box and that seat. But when we leave that area and walk outside, the next thing that we're acquainted with, according to the Bible, is a table sitting there. So tonight, I don't want to talk about the beautiful box. I don't want to talk about the splendid seat. Tonight, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the thrilling table. Amen. The thrilling table. When you walked outside of that curtain, over on the north side of that tabernacle, sat a table. A table was sitting there. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, it wasn't a big table. I mean, when you take the dimensions that were given there in verse 23, I mean, in my mind, I don't know about y'all how you pictured that, but in my mind, I pictured a big old table sitting there. But when you take the dimensions that were given there in verse number, uh, verse number 23 and you convert those dimensions over into feet and into inch, inches, here's what you find. That table, that table of showbread was about, it was about three foot long. It was about 18 inches high, and it was uh, 18 inches wide, and it was about 2 feet, 3 inches high, 27 inches high. 3 feet by 18 by about 2 foot, 3 inches high. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big table. But boy, I want to tell you something. That table points us to the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad we got a table? Aren't you glad we got a place we can come and dine? Amen. So let me just, if I may, break down these verses a little bit tonight. And let's talk about that table. First of all, let me say this. Number one, the table was a place of enlightenment. It was a place of enlightenment. In other words, what I'm saying is this table once again enlightens us to the person of our Savior. Now, if you look at this, we're told there in verse number 23, once again, that it's made out of shittim wood, a very hard, a very durable, a very incorruptible kind of wood. I believe Brother John Moxley, and I don't know if Brother Moxley is here tonight, but he makes pens 
He, 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 got, he brought some wood back. Maybe it's cypress wood that he makes them out of or something. But I tell you what, that's very hard. It's very durable, and it's very incorruptible wood. Now, once again, the wood of the table reminds us of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we read again there in verse number 24 that that wood is overlaid once again with pure gold. Now, I find this interesting. On the outside of that tabernacle, everything was made out of brass. And brass... And our Bible is a picture of judgment. So everything on the outside of that was pointing forward to judgment. That brazen altar, the judgment, that labor where you had to stop and get cleaned up at before you could go into the holy place, that's judgment. But once you walked into the holy place and even went into the holiest of all, everything from there on out was gold all the way. In other words, what I'm trying to say is you left the judgment, the brass, and you walked inside of the glory of of God. And yet we read in this text, once again, we are pictured here in this table, we get a picture of the humanity of Jesus, but we also, in the wood, and then we get a picture of the deity of Jesus as pictured to us in the gold. It reminds us again of the perfect fusion of the two natures of the Son of God. Can I remind you that he was man, a very man, and yet can I just remind us that he was God very God. He was 100% man. He was tempted in all points like as we are and yet he was 100% God in the fact that he never sinned not one time. I'm telling you that, that, that fusion of those two natures allows him to be the mediator between God and and man. He was God so he could reach up and grab the hand of Almighty God. And yet he was man in the sense he could reach down and grab the hand of man. And yet as the God-man, as the mediator, as the go-between, as the daysman, he could take the holy hand of God and the sinful hand of man and there on Calvary he could reconcile it, bring it back together because he is the God-man. Yes, sir. 100% man and 100% God. So watch this now. So this table, the wood represented his humanity. The gold represented his deity. But we're not done yet. Because if you look again in this text, according to verse number 24, that around this table, there was a crown, a golden crown, placed around the fringe of this table. So we not only consider the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, but now we kind of are clued in, enlightened to the security of Jesus. What I mean by that is, you know, there were different things that were placed on the table. We read about them over a little bit further in verse number 29. It talks about the dishes and the spoons and the covers and the bowls. So in other words, on that table, these things could slide around some. Now remember, we got, we got rings on the bottom of these four legs that hold up that table. And through these rings, they slide them golden staves in so they can pick it up and carry this table through the wilderness. You can just imagine all that stuff would slide around. And watch this, would even slide off that table as it was being carried. Had it not been for the crown of gold 
the ring of gold that was placed around that table that kept the bowls and the spoons and the dishes and the covers from sliding off. Aren't you glad for the crown of gold that was placed around that table that secured those instruments on that table so they couldn't fall off? I'm glad I can tell you. Thank God for his deity. Thank God for his humanity. But I tell you, I praise God for his security tonight. Hey, I might slide around on the table, but I'm not going to slide off of the table because there's a crown of gold around that table that keeps me from falling off and breaking on the floor below of that table. Amen. Thank God for the security of Jesus Christ. By the way, can I point you out something? Talking about his deity and his humanity. Can I just tell you that in another place in our Bible, this table that we're, that we're told here is the table of showbread in another place in our Bible it has another name to it. Here's what it says in another place. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also set they in order upon thee. And there it's called a pure table. Aren't you glad he's a pure Savior? Hey, can I tell you, we're getting ready to head off into election time. And buddy, I'll tell you one of the things we better get prepared for is these politicians, they're going to dig up all the smut they're going to dig up all the mud, all the garbage they can find on one another. And then they're going to go on TV and buy television time. And they're going to tell everybody that will listen about the mud and the smut and all the garbage and the slime in this person's life. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes that may wreck a candidate and a candidacy. That may cause him to sing. But I'll tell you this. You can take all the mud, all the smut, all the slime, and you can sling it toward our Savior. But it won't stick. You know why? Because he's a pure savior he's without fault he's without blemish he's without failure he's perfect he's pure in his humanity and his deity but i thank god for his security tonight you know something truth of the matter is uh that border was placed around that table to hold all that stuff on the table in place i just want to say tonight if i may you know what now that i've been saved our choir sings that song that goes something like he knew me Yet he loved me. I got one better than that. I know he knew me, yet he loved me. But now that, I'm, now that I am saved, now that I'm on the other side of Calvary, now that I'm, I'm looking back toward Calvary, I just want to tell you, he still knows me, but he still loves me. I don't know what you are. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about your life, but I know me better than you know me, and I know what I am. I'm just a zero with the rim knocked off. That's not false humility. I struggle. I sin. I fail, but I'm so glad. Thank God there's a crown that keeps me in place. Thank God there's a crown around that table that keeps me from falling off. I just want to tell you, old Noah may have fell around in that ark, but thank God when the door shut, he didn't fall out of that ark. I thank God for security in these days. I'm glad I'm not facing these days wondering whether I'm saved or not. I'd hate to get COVID and not know I was saved. I'd hate, to, I'd hate for the protesters to march down my street. I'd hate for them to march down my street anyway. I'm out in the country. But I tell you what, I'd hate for them to come marching by threatening to burn my, like that couple they did out in St. Louis or somewhere. We're going to burn your house down. I'm going to take a shower in that room. I'm going to kill your dog. I'm going to eat supper at your table. We're going to kill y'all. I tell you what, I'd hate to face those. 
days with the uncertainty of whether I was saved or not. But I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I know that I'm saved and I'm secure in Jesus tonight. This table, the enlightenment of this table. By the way, can I tell you this? Some people, when they read verse 24 and verse 25, they say there were actually two crowns on that table. They say actually in verse 24, a crown is mentioned. And then it's turned around in verse number 25 and mentions another crown, they say. And they talk about the two crowns of the Savior. And buddy, I'll tell you, he did get crowned down here on this earth. He was God come into this world and all we would do to him is put a crown. We put a crown on him, all right, but it was a crown of thorns. But he died on Calvary. God raised him from the dead. God is sitting him at the right hand of the Father. And I'm glad I can tell you someday that he's going to come back and when he comes back, we're going to place another crown, but it's not going to be a crown of thorns. It's going to be a crown of glory. We're going to crown him King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever and ever and ever. It's an Enlightenment in that table. Enlightenment in that table. But can I say number two, not only is there enlightenment in that table, but there's enjoyment in that table. I mean, you, you stop and think about what does a table bring to us? Well, it brings us a time of enjoyment. I mean, any time that my family gets together at our house and we sit down to a meal, it's just a time of fun. It's a time to enjoy. I think about our Thanksgiving meals. My wife puts on a spread. I mean, everybody's favorite dish is somewhere sitting on that table. We sit down. It's a time of enjoyment. I don't know how y'all do at Christmas, but at Christmas time, we meet on Christmas night. and We have a big supper, and then we go in and, and open up the presents that, uh, that we purchase for each other around the tree. And we sit down at the table and we enjoy talking together. We come away from the hustle and the bustle of life and we sit down at the table. And here's what we do. We talk about what has been. We talk about the old times. And then we talk about what the future holds. And we talk about what we're going to do somewhere down the road. Well, I got to thinking, you know, Jesus was interested in two tables when he was here on this earth. For instance, he was interested in a table called the table of grace, but he was also interested in another table that's in the Bible called the table of glory. Now, let me tell you, at the table of grace, that's when we sit down and we talk about old times. We talk about what has been. You know, we do that two or three times a year around here at Woodland. We set the table up here, and uh, we gather a little bit before service starts. We gather around the table of grace. And you know what we start talking about? We start talking about old times. We start talking about what happened back yonder at Calvary. And that table is spread, and we sit down to a meal, and we enjoy, and we thank God for the old times, what he did back yonder on Calvary. We thank God for the bread which represents his broken body. We thank God for the juice, which represents his shed blood. And we look back to the old time. We look back to Calvary, and we thank God for what Jesus did. Thank God for the price that was paid. Thank God for his willingness to die in our place. Thank God for the love that was manifested at Calvary. We sit down at the table of grace, and we talk about what used to be, has, what has been. But he also mentioned over in Luke 22 another table. 
I call that the table of glory. Because Jesus, that same night that they sit down around the table of grace, said, hey, we're going to sit again, boys. There's going to be another meal down the road, boys. Now he's talking about the future. And he said, one of these days, we're going to sit down at the kingdom. We're going to sit down at the table again. I'm glad for the table of grace. I thank God for the table of grace. I'm reminded of that story, old Mephibosheth. He was down there in the land of Lodibar, the place of no hope, the place of no bread. He was in despair. He was crippled by the fall. But David got Jonathan on his mind one day and wanted to do something for Jonathan's sake. Sent them there, brought that old boy out of Lodabar, set him down at the table in the palace, and that white tablecloth draped across the broken legs of Mephibosheth, and the Bible said that he dined at the table as one of the king's sons. I don't deserve to be a child of the king. I don't deserve to be saved, but I'm glad I got a place reserved at the table for him. I'm glad God one of these days is going to take us to glory and we're going to sit down at the table yes sir think about that Whew, I'm about to preach myself under ice cream headache I done had one today but I tell you what I enjoy ice cream headaches I enjoy preachers headaches once in a while but I tell you thank God for the table of glory we're going to sit down the bride is going to be married to the lamb we're going to sit down at the table, and can you believe it? He's going to serve us. No, there's something messed up about that. We ought to be serving him, but no, he's going to serve us. We're going to have a big meal and celebrate my marriage in heaven. Right after the meal's over, we're heading out to the stables. And we're going to get on a bunch of white horses. And we're going to ride back. I'd have you say, preacher, how's them horses going to fly? I don't know, but if I watched the program this morning, about 4.30 called a fly nun. And if a nun can fly, you know a horse can fly. I don't know if they're going to have wings on them or what. But I know one thing, we're going to come back out of heaven riding on white horses, and this time we're not coming to take sides. We're coming to take over, friend. The table is a place of enjoyment. Amen. Enjoying. We think about what has happened. We think about what's going to happen. You know, salvation's likened to sitting down at the table. You know, there's a number of things, you know, in the Bible that salvation is likened to. For instance, salvation is likened unto a birth. You know, you got to get born again. And salvation in the Bible is like going through a door. You know, Jesus said, I'm the door. If any man... Uh, Open me, or whatever. It's like a door. You know, getting saved is pictured. But you know another way in the Bible that salvation is pictured is like a sitting down to a big old meal at the table. Remember in Luke chapter 14 where that certain man, we're told, made a great supper and bade many. And then he sent his servants out at supper time to say to them which were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. You know, salvation is like a feast, not a funeral. Would you tell your face about that for just a minute? Salvation's not a funeral. 
salvation is like a big old feast. We just get to come and sit down at the table. And on the table are bowls of blessings and dishes of delights and platters of pardon and glasses of grace and forks of forgiveness. Brother, we got saved. And when we got saved, it was like sitting down to a big old meal. I'm telling you, there's joy, enjoyment at the table. So there's enlightenment. There's enjoyment at the table. But number three, there's enrichment at the table. Now really what this table was about, and I think it says this over in verse number 30, the whole purpose of that table was to hold the showbread. The showbread was placed on the table. You say, preacher, what's showbread? It actually almost looks like in our King James Bible called shoebread, but it's showbread. The word show means face or it means presence. So really that bread was the face or the presence of God. So every Sabbath day, 12 loaves of bread was baked. And it was brought in every Sabbath day and placed 12 loaves, 12 different, I guess, round loaves, and they were placed upon this table. And then upon every, every loaf of bread was poured an ointment called frankincense. And that bread would sit on that table till the next Sabbath day. The next Sabbath day, they'd do it all over. Can you just imagine the fragrance inside of that holy place? That fresh baked bread and that, that beautiful aroma of that frankincense rose up. Can you just imagine? And then every, 12 day, every seven days, they'd bring a brand new bread in. And the priest then would eat of that bread that sat upon that table for seven, for seven days. In other words, that bread supplied the priest with the nourishments and all the essentials that they needed to sustain them as they labored for the Lord. Not only was that bread, that picture of that table, a picture of the Lord Jesus, but the bread that sat upon that table was also a picture of him as well. Jesus said on one occasion in our New Testament, I am the bread of life. Let me tell you something. You are, I am what I eat. You are what you eat. That's right. You eat fat, you'll turn into fat. Let me break this dietary stuff down for you. Eat fat like ice cream, turn into fat. Eat protein, turn into muscle. That's what's happened to me. I've turned into muscle. Shut up. And as those priests partook of that bread upon that table, it supplied everything that they needed as they labored for the Lord. I just said all I'd say is Jesus is everything that we need. Amen. He's everything that we need and so much more as we labor for the Lord. He's everything that we need to keep us going as we live out these last days. He's sufficient and he's satisfying. Friend, I'll tell you what, if you'll feed upon him, if you'll partake of him, as the psalmist said, taste and see that he's good. I'm telling you, you'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. You'll never run dry. You'll never go hungry because he is everything that we need as we live for the Lord. And by the way, he never gets stale or moldy. At our house, I don't know how y'all do it at your house, but when the bread gets hard, it's time for the chickens. So we take the bread down. Chickens love bread. So we take old hard, crusty bread 
We'll take it down there and feed to, well, my one chicken, Brother Jerry, I think, is going to give me another chicken or two. But I feed the chickens that bread. Any scraps, the dogs are not allowed to eat scraps at our house, so all the scraps go to the chicken. They eat cabbage leaves, carrots, watermelon rinds, uh, cucumber rinds, tater peelings. I mean, man, feed it to the chicken. The chicken will eat it. Is that how y'all do it at y'all's house? Oh, you have a disposal. I forgot you lived in the city. We don't have a disposal. We just feed it to the chickens. Amen. But I will tell you this. Jesus will never get dry. He'll never get moldy. He'll never get crusty. He'll be everything that you need to labor for God as we live out these last days. He's all that and so much more. Remember that old prodigal child, that old prodigal boy that went off into the far country? And he went down there and the Bible said that he spent all of the inheritance that his father had given him and he spent it on riotous living. Now if you read that, if you say, what is that riotous living? Well, in verse 30 of that Luke 15 chapter, it tells us what the riotous living was. He was living with a bunch of harlots down there. So he was throwing his money away on harlots and good times or big times or whatever, on the pleasures of the flesh. He was just spending it all. Then he got down there and he was slopping hogs. Remember the story? And there's that little Jew boy, if it's a Jewish story, sitting on the, sitting on the fence slopping hogs and he got to thinking about home. Boy, he got to thinking about the father's house. And one of the things he said was, how, how, much, uh, how many servants in my father's house had bread and bread enough to spare. And he got to thinking about home. He got to thinking about the aroma of that bread that mama cooked. And he got to thinking about how there was more bread than all the servants could eat together. So he jumped off the rail, threw down the pail, and hit the trail. He was going home to the father's house because he wanted some of that bread. And I just want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to look to the world for our satisfaction and our supply and our sustenance. Jesus is everything we'll ever need to live for God in these last days. He is the bread of life and so much more. He's all we need. You need not look any, to any other. He's the bread of life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.